BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, this is Eric from Point Vader and Ironhot, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Hey, this is John from Seven Dust and Projected, and you're listening to Talking Metal. Welcome to another edition of the Talking Metal Podcast, home of all things hard rock and heavy metal. I'm Mark Striegel, host and producer of this show since 2005. Now, let's get things started with the Talking Metal theme song, written by Rob Halford, Metal Mike, and Roy Z. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Talking Metal Podcast. This is Mark Striegel coming at you from Lake Placid, New York. The summer vacations continue. I think I checked in with you guys from Indiana not too long ago. I'm here in upstate New York, way up by the Canadian border, uh, Lake Placid. I mean, eh, probably like 90 minutes to two hours from the Canadian border. Anyways, a great episode today. We're going to blow through a lot of interviews that I have here on my hard drive. Eric Kluber, longtime guest of Talking Metal, longtime fan of Talking Metal. This guy's been with us since the beginning, checking in with us uh, with occasional interviews and emails and calls. Uh, Eric is a great guy. I even took a guitar lesson from him once or twice. I can't remember. And he's given us so much great music through the years, and it continues to this day with Ironaut and Void Vader, two of his current bands he's going to tell us all about. Um, of course, you may remember him in the past from such great bands as Overloaded out of Michigan. Of course, there was White Wizard, Gypsy Hawk. This guy, what a catalog. And, you know, he is an independent musician. He's somebody who's never been a rock star by any sense of the word, but he is a 
artist who continues to give us such great hard rock and heavy metal music year after year. Definitely support him and show some love for independent music by, again, checking out Eric Kluber's music, going and purchasing it legally, and checking him out if you are in an area where he happens to be doing a gig. After that, we're going to hear from Janet Gardner, who we know from Vixen. She's got some music out right now, guys. It's not very Vixen-sounding, which, you know, nothing against Vixen. I was never a a massive fan. I was never not a fan. I was a little bit indifferent to them back in the day. Uh, They were were fine, you know, but this stuff that Janet has out now I think is really strong, really good. I suggest you give it a chance. Um, Put all, all... whether you like Vixen or not, put all that aside and give Janet Gardner's new solo record a chance. It's out now. I think I recorded this interview back before it was out, so we may be referencing you know, the fact that it's on the way. It's, it's coming out, but it's already out. It's out now, so definitely check out Janet's music. Lastly, we'll, we'll end up with John Conley from Seven Dust, guitarist of Seven Dust. He's going to tell us about his band, his other band, projected and of course he's also going to talk to us about seven dust how could we not talk to him about seven dust lots of technical issues with john's call just muffled at first uh, had to call him back a couple times to keep it going after the call was dropped so i'm going to edit it together the best i can but i'll be straight with you guys it's not the best sounding interview uh, so i apologize i hope seven dust fans can still enjoy it and if it's too much for you to take, you know, don't listen to it. He does say some cool stuff and has some cool Seven Dust news also, so stay tuned for that. All right, so before we get into Eric's interview, let me just tell you that I'm trying to do my best here to make some money. We're trying to, we got a lot of big plans for, for this whole talking metal, talking rock mission. I'm working on some stuff behind the scenes. And I would love it if you could help me contribute uh, or help me finance it because I'm spending thousands of dollars, guys, to rework the website. I'm not even kidding. And revamp things, get things to work better, bring you more content that includes articles on the website. We have two writers right now, Joe Becht and Victor Ruiz, and hopefully we'll be adding more, maybe even some high-profile type of writers, which I think is exciting. We're redoing the website so it works better. It doesn't work terribly now, but it's not the best. And one way you can help me out is go to my Patreon, Patreon account. And again, I'm sitting outside here. I'm hearing background noise. I think my dad is calling for his dog. But anyway, support us on Patreon, okay? And you can make a monthly pledge, automatically pulls from your PayPal account. Check me out on Patreon. Um, Just search Mark Striegel or Talking Metal on Patreon or go to today's show notes on TalkingMetal.com and link over to our Patreon account. Okay, here's a little Iron Knot followed by Eric Kluber.
Hey, it's Mark Striegel of Talking Metal and phoning in an old friend. This has to be your, your like 12th interview with us. Eric Kluber from Ironaut and Void Vader. Eric, how are you? How you doing, Mark? I'm doing great out here in L.A. Cool. Well, it's great to talk to you again. We have long history going back at least a decade at this point, way back to... I'm trying to think. Overloaded, right? Overloaded, White Wizard. Overloaded back into like Gypsy Hawk. Yeah, yeah. Many, many Gypsy Hawk. Now the new band. Yes. So let's 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 get right into that. The uh, Void Vader, which I know we played some of your music on the Void Vader music on Talking Metal before. Really strong stuff. I'm really digging it. And now officially there is a release out. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Our new EP is called Dehumanized, and it was released on July 26th through Worm Group. And Worm Group, spelled W-U-R-M Group, is Ulrich Wilde's label. And he's started a startup label. He's been helping Void Vader over the past couple years. And it is available at his big cartel store and every digital retailer out there. So if you want the old school CD style like myself, and uh, want the physical copy, order it right through him, and or the digital copy. And we released it soon. It's a five-track EP. Uh, I thought you'd dig it, man. I'm glad you like it. Yeah, absolutely. And who's in the band with you? You're, you're on, just on guitar, right? You're not doing vocals. I'm on guitar. Right. Live, I do some backing vocals. Uh, Lucas Canopa is guitar player, singer extraordinaire, and he is... He is uh, definitely the mastermind behind the project. And on the album, all those beautiful voices you're going to hear are from the man himself, Mr. Lucas Canopa. He's the most talented guitar player I've ever played with in my life. And uh, wow. he's, he's a, a one percenter. Like he could be an Aussie or Megadeth, you name it. He's, wow. he's that Good. talented. And Herman uh, Mora is his childhood friend. Both of them are from Uruguay. Once again, I mean, both Lucas and Herman were covering Dream Theater songs when they were 12 years old. I mean, it's no joke, these guys' talent. And our new bass player, Sam Harmon, is uh, just a, he's like Cliff Burton reincarnated. Awesome. Awesome. Just a, a super, uh, an absolute elite bass player. And uh, we're thrilled to have him to complete the package. I mean, this band is, it's, it's really. <laughs> It's got everything going on on every level. And like, are you guys playing gigs exclusively in the Southern California area, or are you able to get out and spread your wings a little bit further than that? Actually, actually, tomorrow we're leaving for Las Vegas, and we're going to oh, cool. play backstage bar and billiards, which is supposed to be a really cool club on Fremont Street in Old Vegas. And we've been branching out uh, San Diego, and we're going to be getting up to the Bay Area. That's so where Definitely West Coast and doing regional shows. And our main objective is playing outside of Los Angeles. We do have a Los Angeles, a couple Los Angeles shows coming up this Saturday. We'll be playing Silver Lake, the Silver Lake Lounge, and we're doing another Viper Room show on September 2nd. So, so we're doing it all, man, cool. here on the West Coast. Excellent. Well, I encourage all the Talking Metal listeners to support you guys. We're going to feature some more of your music a little bit later in the podcast. 
but you're always a guy who has numerous things going on. Uh, such a talented guitar player. I've always thought your playing is just great through through the years, through everything you've done. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely. One of the it. one of the unsung heroes. And um, what else? Ironaut is is happening, and that you're you're doing guitar and vocals. Is, is that right? In Ironaut, I play bass and I sing in that project, and oh, both were really? out of necessity. Okay. Wow! Yeah, it was it was cool to switch it up. Right. And at the time, I was I was excited to do something different. And what I like about both bands, Ironaut and Void Vader, is they're completely different than any other band I've been in before. Ironaut is much more on the heavier I call it stoner thrash, with some elements of doom side, and I sing and play bass on that one. And we keep it as a three piece and we choose to because it sounds thick and heavy as it is a lot more simple. I've always been in two guitar player bands. So I thought that was a neat new challenge. So that's the iron outside. And then Void Vader, I always say if, if rock radio played new music, it would be on it. It's, it's, right. it's, um, it's, I always say it's like a Megadeth and with like some hookiness of perhaps Foo Fighters in there. And uh, it's been getting a great response just from a lot of my friends all over back in Detroit and all over the world. It really seems to connect with a lot of people. So those are my new bands right now, which is not rehashing the past, right? just onward. And, and it's just organic, organic projects that happened once again through, well, uh, Iron Out was through Craigslist, which I've been in almost all my bands I found out about through there, which is kind of funny. And then, uh, Void Vader was actually a, a chance jam session. So these two stuck and I wanted to see where they went and they've, they've progressed quite a bit over the years. So what, what's check it? them out, everybody. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to link, what? we're going to link, uh, all, all the links for both bands in the show notes on talkingmetal.com for today's episode. But what, what's a chance, a chance jam session? Is that like a, a open jam well, it's night a, it's or like something? Out or? of the blue. You're right. No, not a jam night. It's just through, through connections. Like, hey, man, I heard you play guitar. I'm jamming with this dude. You should really stop by. We got an hourly rehearsal at AMP up here in, in North Hollywood. And that's about it. It's like, all right, what are you doing tonight? Right. And right. I'm sitting at home and watching Family Guy and kind of just being lazy. And it's like, ah, do I want to stop by and jam, jam sessions. Well, most musicians, I'd say, you're 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 play guitar yourself. They don't always go great. They can just be a big, right. a big cacophony of noise and, and like, eh, not really the jammer type. But I went and did it. I was like, get off your ass and check it out. And I was like, whoa, this dude can play, man. Let's. And we just had a good time. It was a jam session that went well. So that's what I mean by a chance jam session. It wasn't. It wasn't planned. And uh, just I just went with the opportunity. Right on, right on. Hey, and just to kind of switch gears here a little bit, you said something to me on Facebook. I, I got on Facebook uh, probably a week or two ago, two weeks ago at this point, after I saw this this Queen, Adam Lambert. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What I, I thought was terrible. I, I know that they're... Uh, are people out there who think it was was just great, and I, I, that's fine. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. But, you know, 
Sure. I, I the one of the, the comments that you posted when I was you know bitching and moaning about my disappointment in this uh, Queen <laughs> and Adam Lambert thing really struck home to me, and you know it was basically that you had played a show. With I'm not sure which band mm-hmm. it was, if it was Iron. That was with Iron Eye, yeah, down in San Diego at the Brick by Brick, yeah. And, and you mentioned, you know, hey, for for a ten buck cover or whatever it was, you could come down and and hear some great music and and really enjoy yourself, have a few drinks that you know probably you're not paying you know eighteen dollars for for a pint, and <laughs> right. it's just like or standing in line for like an hour. Right, and you you kind of inspired me because that next night I went out and I I did just that. I went to I went into the city, New York City, and 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 saw a band and paid a, a minimal cover. Had a great time. It was a, a no stress yeah. situation, and the 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 band played great. Probably didn't make much money doing it, but everyone there had a good time. And it's just like it's so important that people go out there and experience the live club scene for for rock music again because uh, it it is yeah. it it can be fun and and i mean it, it just uh it, well, it is fun it's a lot yeah. more fun if you ask me right but go ahead and click it up man yeah no and, and and i was just gonna throw it over to you and and it's like it's like there's so much good new rock music out there Yet we have these these old timers, you know, out there trying to with one, two original members go out there and just charge a fortune for stuff that isn't even real anymore. And and yeah, it's not it, relevant. It's the greatest hits catalog. I don't get it, man. I mean, I don't get yeah. Disneyland. I don't get standing in line for hours and hours, much less driving out there waiting in traffic for two hours to pay to park to like shotgun a warm beer in the parking lot to get in there and i don't i don't get off on it man i mean to watch a great pit set to me um doesn't do it for me i mean can everyone talks about the glory days i mean imagine seeing metallica when they were coming up slayer right. all the legends those are just just any just insert any band right here right when they were hot right when they were re- relevant and cutting edge and hungry and going for it. And you could like, I don't know, feel the sweat off the stage. I think the club scene is where it at, is at. I, I don't even see the enjoyment of going and spending a, a fucking fortune. All I hear is about how everyone's broke. It's a joke, but literally spending a fortune, taking time off and, and planning a vacation around these greatest hits packages. Yeah. It's not for me. It's not for me, man. I understand. I mean, there is an energy when you're surrounded by 50,000 people. Of course, that's fucking cool. I mean, and the stage itself, I think half the time I'm more impressed with the stage, the pyrotechnics, the light, and uh, maybe just the massive sound that you have to push to to entertain 50,000 people. So I get it on some levels, but I'd rather be on the front lines. And there are a lot of great touring bands that you can see for next to nothing. And you can see and hear these songs as they're just being written and talk to the guys and hang out with the guys and, or girls, excuse me, you know, everybody. Right on. Yeah. So well, the what, club scene's where it's at, man. I can't, I can't stress it enough. So. What's it going to take to get people to understand this? I mean, you and I can talk about it and encourage people to go check out live music that it is I think you know, it's on the take street more level. Exposure. I think it's, people do have to get excited. A lot of it's just a perspective. 
and a state of mind. Like, do you want to go check it out? Because it is depressing to go to, to see bad music. At least you feel ripped off. That's why the legendary act. Well, you know, it's a sure bet. It's a safe bet. If they're going to play their greatest hits, you love them. You grew up with them. Of course, you're going to do that at a price. And hey, people do have the money. They always say they don't. But if you're paying 500 bucks to see a band, I'm sorry, man. You got it. So what it's going to take is, is more exposure and interest. So it's a double-edged sword because the podcast, the interviews, well, what's going to attract the readers? It's going to be another story about anything from Jimi Hendrix, Metallica, Led Zeppelin, Ozzy Osbourne, et cetera, et cetera. You're talking about Queen, sure, the legends. That's what's going to get your readers. So why would you write about someone that's coming up when you're going to have no readers, no interest? So that's, that's a risk on both ends. So, it, but it will take back in the day, back in the day, what a cliche, right. but people were interested in what's, what's coming up and the legends were scared to hold on because they had to keep up with what was, what was up and coming. So now that radio has been stagnant and actually doesn't play new music anymore for the rock genre, it's uh, dependent on underground press. It's dependent on blogs like, or excuse me, podcasts like yourself, blogs, anything people read. And I guess it's a sacrifice for, for the journalists as well. So I, I think part of the ball is in their court. Um, from my eye, it's the exposure. Um, and people that are passionate about it and will write about it and, and maybe um, also take jabs are willing to say this band is good, this band is not, writing good reviews. I mean, there was a talent, guys like oh, the writer Lawn Friend that just comes to mind. I mean, these guys are rock stars in their own right, passionate about journalism and talented talented writers they could write a review of an album or a performance totally. or do an interview to make it but those guys were compensated at the same time i mean perhaps their day is done and they've retired or perhaps a lot of aspiring journalists won't even tackle or waste their time on this because um because it's not worth it financially so right yeah those are the the double-edged swords that that does make it tough but it's, it's gonna. People are just gonna have to get excited about it, you know. I mean, can, or maybe the other bands just have to literally die off, which is happening. And that, no disrespect. Yeah, well, I some mean, of them we're seeing. We're seeing these bands die yeah. off in front of our own eyes, like I like I yeah. saw this uh, Queen with Adam Lambert concert, which was terrible. I paid through the nose to go to it, and it's the second time in like a three month period that I've just been burned paying these crazy ticket prices and Metallica. I mean, some, a lot of people liked this recent tour. I thought it was freaking shit, man. I thought it was terrible. <laughs> and, and I was so disappointed to go there and, and, you know, in with them, it's, it's weird because they're they're They came out and played seven new songs when I saw them. And so in a way okay. I'm like, well, okay, you got to give them credit because they're they're doing the new stuff but on the other hand that's why no one the 65,000 people that were there they didn't want to hear those songs you know and and so and at those ticket prices I did just want to relive the glory days but I didn't even get that from sure. them so it's just I, I it's like more than ever now I, I I am so over the crazy ticket prices and I think it's it's so important to to shine the spotlight on on bands like Void Vader and Ironaut and and so many others that are out there doing it, doing great music on a street level and 
for fair prices, better than fair. I mean, you're you're practically out there giving it away. I mean, it's like, whoa, you can't go. Yeah. You can't you can't go to a bar and you know not pay a cover and and average prices for for drinks, no matter what you're doing. Like, and, and a you're a lot of the music. shows. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of those shows are even free sometimes. Yeah. It's a great the club scene is is awesome, man. And I uh yeah, I wish more people would do it. But at the same time, it is what it is. I'm not complaining. I had a great time. A lot of times I kind of feel like it's people's loss if if they miss out on it. Right. And and if one of these bands does jump up because of some sort something that breaks through that people pay attention to, be like, "Well, yeah, I just heard about them." I mean, they were playing down the street a month ago in front of 30 people. Yeah. You know, and that, that's kind of a cool piece to be in. So it just takes interest and it takes excitement, man. I mean, maybe it just take, it's going to take some time. I mean, me personally, I don't want to go. I don't want to go to these huge arena rock. I guess I'm going to call them corporate events, but that's not it. It's just, it's, I would rather be there in the clubs. It's, right. it's more, way more fun. Yeah. There's a lot less rules. It's a lot more free. It's a lot more rock and roll, dude. I yeah, I always equate these corporate shows, these arena rock shows, as like the Disneyland of metal. Right. I on. mean, it's no makes sense. Yeah. So, all right. Well, come you still- out and support it. If, if you're retired from it, give it give it a shot. I mean, it's it might be exciting again. It's just all about everyone having a good time. I think anyone who goes is going to have a good time, especially if the bands if they get a little bit of a heads up and they find a band like, whoa, this band's actually pretty good. They're not shit. I mean, it's hard to break through to people to to let them into their their coveted world of music. You know, they're very, oh, this band's okay, but they're no so and so. Well, maybe one band will will get through your jadedness or <laughs> your exclusive rules of what is good and not, and you'll like them. Check them out. They're probably just touring. They're probably in a van in a trailer, sharing gear. I mean, everyone. It is about as as street level as it could has ever been. So. Right. It's kind of cool in that way. Absolutely. It's a good attitude to have about it. Are you still giving guitar lessons? Yeah, man. I've been doing them forever. I don't think I ever won't be. Yeah, you got it, man. Where, I, I where teach, can people I take lessons from <laughs> Hey, if you're up in the Valley, come take lessons with me at Guitar Center in Northridge. And if you're around the Hollywood area, come right over to my apartment, man. I've, I got flyers all over the place, just paper flyers on every street pole and wooden wooden power pole that there is when i go out and canvas the neighborhood hit me up on facebook cool. <laughs> it's like i said man you can't the access couldn't be more easy nowadays man right and just so everyone has your name the spelling eric e-r-i-k and spell kluber spell your last name for us eric yeah k-l-u-i-b-e-r Cool. So just type in those words and it'll be, boop. there's an Eric lessons page and some videos and I really need to do more of those. Cool. <laughs> no, it's just time. It's cool, man. That's, yeah. that's how I've been. I've been doing it for a long time. My, my motto is having fun is number one. If you don't have fun, you're not going to play. Right. You know, it's like, you know, that movie whiplash. I think maybe we talked about it. That's the opposite. I didn't even watch it because I didn't like the whole concept. This idea that it's like a Rocky marathon you know, you have to beat yourself up and it has to be pain and torture. That's the opposite as far as I'm concerned of how to play. You got to be having a good time because once again, then you pick up the instrument, you'll get inspired, you'll fall into that creative zone and you will learn so much faster. Right. right. And that's, that's how it has to be. And it's not rocket science. 
and we can just learn to, and then you can start playing these licks like, oh, I see exactly why he chose those notes. They sound so good, and my hands just gravitate towards these notes. You'll understand it all, all up and down the neck. So having fun is number one. Right on. Cool. Well, it's always great connecting with you and getting the, the updates, Eric. We heard a little Ironaut earlier in the podcast, but right now let's get into some Void Vader. What can we play for the Talking Metal listeners? I'd like, can you do me a favor and play the song Far Away? I think it's, I think it's the best song on the EP. Yeah, let's do it right now here on Talking Metal.
That was Void Vader featuring Eric Kluber, and big thanks to Eric for chatting with us here on Talking Metal. Let's keep it going. The interview's a little brand new Janet Gardner here on Talking Metal, and then we're going to hear from Janet and her husband, Justin James. Hey, it's Mark Striegel of the Talking Metal Podcast, and calling in, we have Justin James and from Vixen, Janet Gardner. How are you guys? We're great, Mark. Great. Guys, 
I'm doing great. I got the uh, the link from from your publicist for Janet Gardner's first solo record, the self-titled solo record. And great stuff, guys. You did a really good job on this. I have to have to admit, knowing Janet's history with Vixen, I wasn't really quite sure what to expect. I do like Vixen, uh, but I have, I have to say, I think I think I like your solo record better than Vixen. This stuff is loud. It's it's contemporary it's at times mean sounding this is a great great heavy record and i want to get into it with you why a solo record now janet well you know it's been kind of a long time coming i suppose but you know i'm i'm really not truly a solo artist this is the collaboration between justin and myself right and you know that's what i love and that's what i do well i you know i would never really want to sit down by myself and just make music it's it's just not as much fun so even though this is my first quote-unquote solo album it's actually a, a partnership between justin and myself and the reason we started doing it was it just sort of happened we didn't plan it at all we got our studio set up in our house um Justin went down, he was just fiddling with some stuff on the guitar, and I said, that's really cool. So I grabbed the guitar, and off we went. It just started flowing out of us, and I think we were both kind of long overdue. I haven't done any original music, even Vixen or otherwise, in about 20 years. I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. So we were both long overdue. Yeah, and and hey, Justin, just for the Talking Metal listeners who might not know your history, can you talk a little bit about your 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 history as a guitar player and a songwriter and a producer? Um, yeah, you know, I for the last oh my god, probably like five years, I've been a hired gun. Um, you know, mostly, and that's like she was saying, we had this fire in us to, to work on new material. You know, I've basically for the last five years have been playing somebody else's songs, you know, on stage. I, uh, did stuff with some, the guy from Collective Soul and Stained and, uh, Brandon Gibbs. And, uh, I've been playing with Taiketo here and there too. Um, and then prior to that for a while, I was just producing music for other artists. And then before that, I was doing some original stuff, nothing, you know, big or anything like that. Um, so to get, you know, to have this opportunity to do this, and like Janet described too, it was, it was not, nothing that was planned. It was funny. It was like right after New Year's this year, like she said, I was just kind of fiddling around on the guitar and stuff. And she heard something she thought was cool, picked up a guitar and made what I was doing a thousand times cooler. Ah, not true. <laughs> <laughs> and, um... You know, it was it was just kind of it was like an instant thing. It just all of a sudden we, within a couple days, we had our first song, and you know, shortly after that we had another song, and then another song, and within a few months we had more than enough songs for a full album. Cool. And again, the some of the songs on the record are are actually most of the songs on the record with the exception of like the one ballad. I mean, these are hard and heavy hitting songs, uh, very modern and contemporary sounding. Were you guys consciously going for a a different sound than, than maybe Janet is known for with, with Vixen or is this kind of just organically what came out of you? Well, when we were writing the songs, it was just, sort of, you know, we started with the basics, drums, 
bass, guitar, and vocals. And then we experimented because we were at home. We weren't had, didn't have the studio time clock ticking. Right. And, you know, Justin loves to mess around with guitar sounds. So a lot of it came from him doing stuff. And he would say, do you like the way this sounds? I was like, hell yeah, that sounds killer. Um, so, you know, that was kind of added the sort of modern touch on the guitars. And then we just experimented with different things on the songs. As long as it enhanced the song, we kept it. Right. It was like, no, I think this makes it cooler. But there were times when it didn't. You know, I was playing piano and stuff on The Good or the By, you know, which is a really basic 70s-ish kind of rock song. And it started to just not, it, we weren't improving it. So we went, you know what? This one is just straight up guitar, bass, drums, and vocals. So, you know, it's, there are, every song is different. But I think there is a common thread that is um, sort of sort of modern, but at the same time, the songs are very straight-ahead rock songs. Right. Yeah, not at any point when we were doing... I mean, we never had, like, a, a particular style in mind or direction. We, I mean, of, of course, towards the end, we started to develop that a little bit more. But really, kind of what came out of it was just both of our styles, you know, combined together that, that created that. Absolutely. And some great songs. We heard earlier in the program, we heard Rat Hole, which is, I guess, the, the single. Uh, let's see, The Grind. I mean, that's a really kind of heavy song. Any backstory behind that one? That was fun. That was a lot of fun. When we got to that chorus part and, and Janet started doing the vocals, I just, my jaw hit the ground. I was like, holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, there was really nothing, nothing in particular that we were going for with that song. It just, and and again, we we weren't even trying to make it heavy. I, it just it just felt right. right. So you know, yeah, it didn't really. We didn't sit down and go, let's do a really heavy song. It just kind of came out. Right on. And how about the song uh, "Hippie Crit"? What's uh, any any story behind those lyrics? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah, we were we were sitting around talking about. Um, you know, a few people that that we have known in the past and stuff. And and we were just talking about, yeah, you know, people who are talking the talk, but they don't walk the walk. He was saying, oh, yeah, you know, I'm an animal lover and I don't eat meat. And they go out and get a dog and then give it away three days later because, right. you know, they can't handle it. Oh, peace and love in the universe. And then they're stabbing people in the back left and right. Right. And I was going, yeah, you know, those those kind of hippie chicks and they're kind of hypocrites. And we were like, hypocrite. We just made right. up a word. <laughs> we made up a word for these people. And that's kind of how that came about. So we're just kind of poking fun at, at people who who do that. You know, you hear stuff coming out of their mouth and you're like, wow, you're telling other people how to live their life and you're a mess. <laughs> right on. <laughs> yeah, I know a few people like that. I'm I'm thinking of them as you're as you're describing them. Definitely, um, the song. Everybody knows a few of those. Yeah, how about the guitar solo on "Candle"? I mean, that is just uh, some ripping, ripping playing going on on that. And uh, I assume that's you, Justin, right? Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate that. It's really great, yeah, great that... work on that one. That that was a that was a funny solo too because. 
you know, obviously we, we did this in our home studio and I remember we, we had just, we were exhausted. We had spent all day working on candle and adding layers and layers to it. And then it came time. I would like to do the solos after the vocals are down. I feel like it helps give me like an inspiration and a direction to go in when I play them. So I, I want to say it was probably like 1230, one in the morning or something when I finally sat down to work on it and, and uh, Janet was passed out sleeping while I did it. I couldn't wait for the next morning for her to hear and go, I hope she likes this. I hope she digs it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great stuff. Well, I... Go ahead, Janet. We, we, were trying, we were trying to think of someplace cool for the solo to go, too. So we thought, well, you know, we can do it over the chorus, or we could go back to another verse and do some sort of spooky. It was like, no, let's go somewhere completely crazy. <laughs> Cool. Well, yeah, that work that solo works really well on that song. How the song "Best Friend," uh, the ballad of the record, beautiful song. Any any story behind those lyrics? Oh, thank you. Yeah, Janet, take it. Oh, well, that's our story. I was wondering we had that. To yeah. get crazy. And and we had to get our everyone cry at the wedding song. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we sat down one night. And we said, you know, we can't finish this album without telling our story of how. All of this started, and that's what it is. It's, a, it's our love song, our love story. So we're going to make people really want to throw up <laughs> when they hear the song, but, you know, hey. No, great we're song. We're human. We have that side, too. <laughs> <laughs> All sorts of good stuff on this record. Again, it's Janet Gardner's solo record, her debut solo record, self-titled out August 18th. We will have links up in the show notes on TalkingMetal.com. Just go there. We'll link you right over to where you can pick up the record. You guys are hitting the road, too, uh, hoping to hit the New Jersey show not far from my house on September 14th, but you'll also be in New York City on the 12th of September, Maryland uh, on the 15th. Uh, probably, what, like 10, 15 dates you're going out for? Yeah, you know, and a couple more just popped up, too. Uh, we oh, just cool. confirmed uh, some Texas stuff, too, so we're going to be hitting that later in the year as well. Um, yeah, we're excited. I mean, it's building right now. We didn't know what to expect. And again, like we said at the beginning, you know, New Year be New Year's night, we didn't even know that this existed. So for it to come this far this quick is pretty exciting. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, cool. we played one show so far. We played a show in Chicago. And it felt so great to be playing these songs live. And the crowd response, I mean, nobody had heard any of these songs. So we were like, oh, man, you know, they're going to be like, what is this? You know, and they right. weren't. They were totally there. They were, by the end of every song, they were trying to sing along. And it was great. We just had a blast. So we're really looking forward to getting out there and playing these lives. Awesome, awesome. And again, guys, the tour dates, we'll have those linked through today's show notes, and we definitely encourage everyone to check out the the album and also Janet and Justin live. I, I assume you have, what, an, another guitar player and maybe a bass and, and drums with you out on tour, or is it just you handling the guitars? You, you two, actually. It's just the two of us on guitars right. and a bass player and a drummer. So Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. We're, we're lean and mean, but it's going to be loud and, and proud. So <laughs> definitely check it out. 
Awesome. Hey, Janet, I wanted to ask you, as someone who helped kind of pave the way for, you know, a lot of the modern female fronted hard rock and and, and metal bands, uh, do you pay much attention to what's going on? I mean, it, back when Vixen first broke, there really wasn't a lot of, of female fronted bands out there at all, hardly any, actually. And nowadays, I mean, I, everywhere I look, I, I see another band with you know, not only female fronted, but female guitar players, female drummers, you know, Hailstorm is out there in this moment, pretty reckless. I mean, there's so many. Are you tuned in to what any of these younger bands are doing at all? Absolutely. And the three that you just mentioned are three of my favorites. Cool. I think it's killer. I mean, it's come so far and I think they're absolutely, they're carrying the banner. I mean, any of those you know, great singers, great front women could pick any genre. They could be pop stars. They sing great. They're fabulous performers, and they're rocking it out. And I, it's it's awesome to see. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 like you said. They could pick any genre and and probably make a, a good go for it. But they choose they choose rock, which even Taylor from you know Pretty Reckless, I, I have a lot of respect for her because here's somebody, she could probably be, you know, and has been a professional model, a professional actress, even a pop star, but instead she chooses to play some some hard rock stuff. And I think uh, that, that really speaks to her sincerity. Oh, absolutely. I, I just... I, I couldn't be more thrilled than to see, you know, these women out there carrying the banner for, for hard rock. I just, I think it's phenomenal. You know, and Lizzie Hale, her voice, good Lord, she can sing anything, you know, and, you know, she's, she's got her band and she just lets it rip. It's, it's incredible. Great to see. Absolutely. And, uh, just maybe a quick Vixen update. I saw you guys down at M3 and, Always such a fun time to see you guys live. Uh, great set down there, by the way. And uh, Brit Lightning is now joined up with you guys. And any uh, any news, uh, Vixen news, that we should know about? Yeah, we're playing a lot. We're, we're playing every weekend um, the month of August. We're doing. Wow. We're taking off this weekend for Nebraska. We're playing um big festival at the event center there in Norfolk, Nebraska. Um, with, geez, it's a, an interesting bill. I think it's uh, Lita Ford. Tom Kiefer was supposed to play, but I think he's not feeling well. Oh, okay. Uh, Rick Springfield. Cool. It'll be interesting. Um, and then um, what else do we have? We have uh, the Wisconsin State Fair. We're doing Hair at the Fair with Great White. Cool. And then we're playing the Arcata Theater in Chicago. And then I think we're at... Snowqualmy in uh, Washington, outside of Seattle, a casino there. We're playing with Skid Row, so yeah, we're wow. we're keeping busy there. Wow, you're you're really busy. You got that going on, plus the the solo stuff. Uh, full schedule for you. Absolutely, and I I couldn't be more more thrilled. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm just- really fortunate to be able to do all this great stuff. Awesome. And Justin, do you get out on the road with Janet when she's doing the Vixen stuff? I do. Um, yeah, most of the shows I, I tag along. Cool. I drag him along. 
Right on. Cool. Well, it's been great catching up with you guys, and I'm so happy we were able to feature some of your music on the Talking Metal podcast. Again, Janet Gardner's solo record. It's self-titled, guys. It's out August 18th. Definitely do yourself a, a favor and check this out. It is uh, some great, great heavy hard rock and stuff. It's definitely diverse. There's a lot of different styles on the record and uh, just some great stuff. You definitely want to check out the Janet Gardner solo record out August 18th. Thanks so much, Justin and Janet. I appreciate it. Thank Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure. I hope to see you at Dingbats in New Jersey on on the 14th of September. I'll I'll try to come say hello. That'd be awesome. Cool. We'll see you then. Have a good night, guys. You too. You too. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye. That was some brand new Janet Gardner here on Talking Metal. Be sure to support her self-titled release with her husband, Justin James. And 
And without further ado, let's get into the interview with James Conley. This is Reload by Projected, followed by my interview with James Conley. That song right there is Reload by Projected and calling in from Projected and Seven Dust, John Connolly. John, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm I'm doing great as well. And I got to tell you, I've been checking out the brand new second album from Projected. 
Ignite My Insanity. Some really great stuff on this record. Congratulations. Donald, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of stuff. This is, album is 21 new songs and, <laughs> uh, you know, a double record. How long ago did you start writing this? Because this obviously didn't happen overnight. 21 songs is a lot of new music. Sure. Yeah, we uh we probably started picking around on it um, probably 2014. Okay. I started kind of you know going through the stockpile of songs, and then once we got into 2015, that was where we uh we really started to map things out. You know, we knew uh, we knew we were going to have time to schedule. Um, between Seven Dust and Office and Tremonti and come, kind of trying to come up with a game plan. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it took the better part of probably uh, to write everything and get it all dialed in and then together. And um, a little bit different, you know, on the first record, I really didn't have much vocally written lyrically. There was very little or time around the demo. Everyone at least you know what the hypothetical choruses were going to be. I think we only changed a handful of parts, so place, and it was a little bit easier to work around because you weren't worried about stepping on something or right. you know, is this a vocal section, is it a solo, is it you know a musical piece or whatever. But um, but yeah, and then once we we hit the uh, we hit the summer of 2016 last year, um, we started hammering it out. You know, we went up to Architect Music and Butler, and we tracked for uh, 10 or 11 days doing drums and rhythm guitars. And then we really, you know, we just relocated everything over to my house and started filling in all the rest of it. You know, all the guitar solos, all the vocals, all the overdubs, and you know what little programming there was on there. And uh, and we were off and running. You know, and we had no intent of it taking five years between the first and, and the second record. I mean, we weren't even really looking at the timeline because the crazy thing is, in that last five years, seven records released between all birds, seven wow. So we were pretty busy, you know, um, yeah. like we were just kind of hanging out in the So for us, it kind of felt like we never really, uh, you know, took much of a break. But yeah, five years between the first and the second record. So we figured what better way to reward the fans than to do 21 songs. And do something Absolutely. And let's let's talk about some of the, the songs. You know, the, the album opens... Yeah with with this very soundscapey piano type of thing strike is the name of that song uh is is who's playing piano on that a buddy of mine his name's tom costanza um he's played in apollo under fire and uh, a couple other bands around town and we've just we've been friends ever since um our first ship rock uh he was actually he came on board we had johnny damon and his wife come on board and uh he and his uh, girlfriend at the time, they, they joined them and that's kind of how we met. And, you know, he was, he was here locally and everything. And we've just always been, you know, close and tight. And we were hanging out one night and I was like, Hey man, you know, he's a tremendous uh, drummer, but he's a phenomenal piano player too. And I said, you know, just I said, take a stab and just write something super creepy, you know, something for me to put some creepy vocals on. And, uh, you know, cause I was looking for some intro ideas and I didn't want to do the same thing that I had done on the first record. You know, I wanted to kind of mix it up. Right. And uh, I always like going to piano every now and again, you know, so it always kind of has that, that creepy, eerie vibe to it. Yeah. But uh, that was the first thing that he wrote. You know, he was expecting to write five or six different things, and he sent the first thing in, and, you know, I changed the key of it, and that was it. Yeah, <laughs> he was no, like, you, you don't want me to do anything else? I was like, no, I love it. 
It's great. It's almost like a movie soundtrack esque. It, it you know just mm-hmm. with the oh, yeah. feel of it, and then then you you, you go into uh, reload, which we just heard the the first single off the record, which it goes from you know strike to just just punch in the face of a song, and heavy heavy riff. Any stories about that? The first single off the the record, reload, that you could share with us. That was probably the first one. Um, once we it wasn't the first one that we had finished, but it, it was the first one that once it was finished and we kind of started playing it for people, that was the one that people were reacting to the most strongly at the time. So that was kind of where we set our bar. And, um, uh, I didn't really know it at the time, but over the next few months, I, I was definitely, you know, just judging by the reaction. Cause, Cause I didn't even know if it was going to make the record, you know, when you have that many songs, and you kind of keep raising the bar and you kind of keep moving forward and going through it. It's hard to tell what's going to translate once you get to the final mix. You know, some of our least favorite songs became our favorites just when we all put them together. Right. But reload was one of those ones that we knew, um, it, you know, was definitely going to go on the record and it probably was going to be the opener. Um, it needed to be one of the anchors on the record for sure. And, and when you set out to make this record, was it planned as a double record or did it just kind of, you just, kind of kept writing and writing and there were more good ideas you just couldn't narrow it down to be a single we, uh, well that, that that was the problem you know if we had just stopped at 12 songs we'd have been fine but you know typically at least in the world of Alter Virgin 7 us, we always like to go in the studio and have options you know you always want to have the B-sides and I mean I come from a time and an age when when Best Buy you know Best Buy still sold CDs and, you know, they wanted an exclusive and then Target wanted an exclusive. And then you always like to have, you know, options just, just in case the record has a certain vibe and you want to go this way or that way, you know, B-sides, things like that. The problem was we couldn't find a B-side. Every time I tried to pull something, you know, someone would flip out and say, oh, that's my favorite song. You can't get rid of that one. Let's try something else. Oh, you can't get rid of that one. And it just finally got to the point where, you know, you're sitting there at 17 songs and I was like, it's going to be a whole lot easier just to push forward to two records you know at that point in time i wasn't even thinking a double record i was thinking we'll just do two records um you know ignite and then my insanity releasing at separate times but the rat pack folks love the idea of a double record you know they love the thinking outside the box the unconventional approach and the fact that it's been a five-year gap from the first one to the second one we were like all right this will give folks you know a lot to sink their teeth into and uh you know, a, a thank you, a personal thank you from us for sticking around and, and, you know, waiting around, showing us the support through all those years. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it, it was crazy because it, the writing process wasn't that difficult at all. We just kind of kept chipping away and chipping away and kept refining and doing all that stuff. And even the physical tracking, um, Scott was done with drums in like six or seven days. And then, I had every intention of setting up my guitar rig at home and doing all the guitars here, but we had the extra three days in the studio that we, you know, kind of set aside just in case we had a stumbling block or wanted to explore some different drum things. And, you know, Mike Ferretti, our engineer, looked at me and was like, it's up to you, man, but, you know, basically six songs a day if, if you're willing to do it. Right. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Let's get to work. So we did uh, six rhythm tracks per day for three days. I mean, it was just, it was chaos. It was crazy as fast as we could get them, put the mark on the board, we'd tune up and move on to the next thing. And, uh, you know, that part of the process all happened so quickly because we were just, we were super prepared for that part of it. And no. uh, then the next part was being basically putting vocals on it. And that took a little while only because it was hard for me to, to figure the pace out. 
you know, you get really excited and I, I blew my voice out twice because wow. <laughs> you want to do extra stuff. You're feeling good. You know, I, I was trying to do two songs a day and doing extra ad lib things and all this stuff. But, but, you know, the cool thing about it is, um, once the voice came back, it was a, a whole lot stronger and a whole lot cooler sounding. So it actually kind of served the purpose. But yeah, for me, it was just trying to figure out the pace. Cause when you're working by yourself, tracking vocals, it's, you know, it, sometimes it's good to have an engineer there to go, okay, time to take the rest of the day off and go work on guitars or programming or whatever you're going to do. Right. Because they can kind of tell, you know, when you're there. And I'm excited and I know that I'm there. But I'm like, okay, I, I can do this. You know, you figure you got superhuman strength and you can just power it. But, uh, right. but yeah, that, that was probably the longest part of the process just because I had, I had a few days that were down twice. Um, you know, you just push your voice a little bit further than you need to and then you just got to rest it and regroup. Yeah, totally. And you mentioned Mike. Now you've worked with him on on Seven Dust records too, right? The engineer Mike. Yep, yep. This 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 was the fourth record. Uh, first record we worked on was uh, Black Out the Sun. Then we did the Time Travels and Bonfires uh, acoustic record, and then we did Kill the Flaw. So, right. you know, we knew we were going to need to move fast, and we had a bunch of different people that we were talking to and. Two things that we needed to do with this. Um, number one, we needed to thread the needle because I only had about two weeks off on that break. It was basically uh, a break in the seven us to kind of, you know, screw things up or experiment. So we needed to kind of hit the ground. You know, the the album, John, has a ton of diversity, too. It's not just all super heavy stuff. There's a lot of that. But there's other songs. One that jumped out at me was was Faith. And I wanted to ask you about that. It definitely has a bit of a mellower vibe. And uh, what's that song about? Is that a, a spiritual song? Is that about God? Uh, no, it's actually... Well, I mean, I guess in some ways you could relate it to that, but that was uh, that was for my wife, actually. I mean, wow, okay. I'd never actually sat down and, and written a song that was kind of for her, you know, about her or whatever. And um, it, the funny thing about that song is <laughs> it almost didn't make the record. Wow. It, was, uh, it was one of those songs that I loved it. I really, really did, and I knew that it was a cool song and a special song, but I was, I was a little worried that it was a little too outside the box for a lot of the other stuff. Um, so it, it was one of the earlier songs, which was good. Um, you know, that being said, once we were kind of filling in the, the, the pieces of the puzzle over the course of the records, you know, I, I was a little conscious of trying to put a couple more that were in a little bit more in that vein, just to kind of connect the dots a little bit better. Um, cause yeah, for, there, there was a good two or three weeks where I was, I was pretty convinced I was gonna, I was gonna keep it off the record, but I'm glad I didn't because that is uh that's one of everyone's favorite songs. Yeah, no, it definitely you know? jumped out at um, me. Yeah. And I love you it. know that's that's the same thing that happens to so many people that I've spoken to. Um oh. and you know I'm I'm probably the worst person in the world. I mean Black when Black was, you know, when we wrote that song, I was trying to keep it off the first record and our manager oh. was like you you're an idiot. It was like you don't even know what you have here and I was like I guess I don't, you know. But uh, but yeah, faith was another one of those songs that I'm like, all right, I'm glad I had it wrong, <laughs> right? You know, cool. Can you talk about uh, Mark Tremonti's involvement uh, on the record and what songs actually he worked on with you guys? Sure, he uh, he worked on Rectify and Call Me the Devil, and uh, it's always a cool thing to work with him because he, uh, you know, I mean, he's he's always been known for 
his guitar playing and, you know, all of that stuff. But, but the thing that he loves most uh, about music is writing lyric and melody. And a lot of people don't realize, but he was, you know, a really, really big part of how he was, you know, presented lyrically and, and melodically. And that's one of his favorite things, you know, I mean, he, he as, as well as as a guitar player, he really, really loved none of the stuff, you know. So uh, on the first record, I threw in "Watch It Burn" because I was struggling with that with with the chorus. I think the chorus that was in it was okay. It just it wasn't killing me, and uh, you know, just out of curiosity, I figured let me just let me do something completely left the center here. So I hit him up and I threw the, the song to him. And about fifteen minutes later, I had a version of him. He was sitting in the kitchen, um, just kind of singing along with the music. And, you know, I walked in the booth and tracked it and, you know, three hours later it was done and it ended up being a single. <laughs> so you never know how that's going to work out. But the same thing happened on these two songs, you know, Rectify was one of those songs where I loved the verses and I thought the chorus music was just super, super special. So I didn't even take a, a, a you know, a stab at that one. I sent it over to him immediately and I said, just, you know, give me what you, you think would happen, you know, what, what you're feeling on this. And it was another, it was the same drill 15, 20 minutes later, I had a version of it and then I sang it that day. And then call me the devil was a, another one that I knew that I was eventually going to get to, but you know, he had, he had done such a good job on those other two that I figured why not let him take a, a crack at that one as well. And, uh, it's just a different mindset. You know I mean? He knows my range and, you know, he's a fan of the band and obviously we've been friends for years. And it's just, it's an easy thing to do, but it's always cool when you can get that outside perspective, you know, and I don't have a lot of that in this band, you know, with seven dust, you can have, you know, any number of four people, maybe at any given point in time that could be writing on the same song, right. but there's always other people to kind of bounce ideas off. And he's kind of that guy for me, you know, I don't do it a ton, but it's enough where it can kind of break up the, you know, I guess monoton, you know, monotony of me going to the same things and, you know, it just keeps it kind of fresh. And it's just, it's always cool to write with a friend of yours like that. Right. Now, I, you know, I know in Seven Dust, you do a lot of the, the, the big backing vocals and harmony vocals, and your your voice is definitely a part of that band, but you're never a lead vocalist in that band. What, when did, and in Projected, mm-hmm. you are, you know, so wh- when did you actually start singing lead? Was that something you did previous to your time in Seven Dust? Or, you know, when did you become an actual lead singer? Sure. Um, you know, basically on the, on the first projected record, it was, uh, you know, that was the first time that I had kind of stepped out from behind LeJean and, you know, had to find my own voice and even miles because on, on our hope and sorrow chapter seven record, miles Kennedy sang sorrow and, uh, I sang harmony against him. So, you know, it's always cool when you've got these tremendously gifted singers at your disposal and, you know, as a backup vocalist, you know, I could get the job done, but it's a totally different thing when you have to step out and you kind of have to find your own voice, and your, you know, your own personality. Um, and yeah, on, on that first record, it was, uh, that was probably the biggest challenge for me. You know, producing it was one thing because we've, we've produced so many records in our past and we've been involved in that part of the process. So that wasn't the trick. The trick for me was you know, just getting vocal performances that I didn't want to delete, <laughs> right. you know, putting stuff down that I didn't want to just chuck in the trash and, and, you know, Hey, and there, there were a handful of them that, <laughs> you know, I, I was like, you got to get over here before I delete the entire session. You know, some of, some of uh, E-Rock's favorite songs I was getting ready to throw in the trash just cause I was, 
I was too far in it. You know, sometimes you get too far in and you start second guessing and, you know, it's hard to keep that perspective. So, um, but yeah, you know, on the first record that, that was the first crack at it and going into this record, I'd already kind of done it. So I already kind of knew what, what, you know, what the deal was like, you know, how was I going to approach, how I was going to sing, how, how, you know, phrasing things like that. So this record came a lot more naturally for me for sure. Right on, right on. And guys, we are talking with John Conley, guitarist of Seven Dust and vocalist and guitarist of Projected. The new Projected album is out now. It's Ignite My Insanity. It's a great listen. I highly recommend it. We'll have it linked through today's show notes on TalkingMetal.com. And John, before I let you go, of course, I got to just get a little Seven Dust update from you, if you don't mind. Um, now it's been, I guess, sure. probably less than two years since the last studio record. Are, are you guys already working on new music? We started. Um, we started working on demos individually back in February, and I actually just got back from Atlanta um, uh, two or three days ago. Went up there and spent some time with Lejean and uh, Vinny and Morgan, just demoing out some songs. You know, getting face to face in a room, doing some writing, and just kind of seeing where we would end up. Because with Seven Dust, it's always tough. You know, you can sit there and you can demo stuff out until you're blue in the face by yourself. But, you know, you might be going in a different direction from the way two or three of the rest of the guys might want to go. So it's always kind of cool when you can get in a room and you can sit together and you can kind of take the trip all together. I mean, now when I'm writing, I have a much better idea of, of at least where everyone else's heads are at. You know, and then it's easy for make, me to make the adjustments. You know, I know certain songs that, not even bother with and then other songs that I might need to kind of get in and tweak because they definitely fit the the vibe and you know the feel of, of whatever we're going to be doing but yeah we um we're probably going to do one other short writing session in September and then we hit uh pre-production in the beginning of October we go in with Elvis Basquette who mixed the first projected record and has done all the Tremonti records and has done four Ultra Bridge records and he's local here he's like five minutes you know five, five minutes up the road from me Cool. So it's great for two records in a row. I'll, I'll pretty much get to sleep in my bed just about the, you know, for most of it. Um, but yeah, we'll be tracking in November, uh, mixing in December, and we should have a record out, you know, April or May of 2018. And when you say local here, where where are you actually located? Orlando. Orlando. Yeah, I'm down in Orlando. Yep, yep. I moved down in Orlando back in, I guess, 2001, 2002. And uh, Scott Phillips lives here. Mark Chimani lives here. You know, so we've we've got that connection, and you know, we've we've been friends ever since the first Creed tour. But uh, but yeah, Elvis moved down here. He had a, a place up in Virginia Beach, and he moved down, I guess, about seven years ago. And uh, he's got a studio in his house right up the street from me, so it's super super convenient. And he's such a killer producer. I mean, just just going through the the mix. I mean, I only spent twelve days in the studio with him, but you know, after the first two days, I was like, we got to do a record with this guy. You know, Absolutely. he just, he was full of ideas and just a big fan, but, you know, we're a big fan of all his, you know, his work too. And uh, really, really looking forward to it. You know, it's going to be a blast. Now, you know, on the Seven Dust vibe, you had recently celebrated the, the 20th year anniversary. I guess it's this year is the 20th year anniversary of that first self-titled mm-hmm. album that just, just blew up. And I mean, can you believe it's 20 years already? I mean, time goes by so fast. No. <laughs> no, when I, I remember when they first posted it, I was like, what? 20 years? And, you know, everyone was like, yeah, it's crazy. And I was like, what's even crazier, 20 years and it's, 
it's the same five guys after right. 20 years. That is true. Um, That's rare. And, yeah, it is, you know, and it's like, uh, you know, people ask, they're like, you know, how is it the same five guys? And I'm like, I, we're either just really stubborn or we really, really enjoy making music together. And I think it's, I think it's, you know, a fair amount of both. Um, you know, even when Clint wasn't in the band, I mean, there was still some communication going back and forth. And when he came back, it just, it felt like home. I mean, no disrespect to Sonny because we love the time that we had with Sonny, but right. there's something about, you know, I mean, anytime they would release like the crystal Pepsi or, you know, the new Coke flavor or whatever, it's that the original that most people are going to gravitate towards. Right and he was such a writing and a vocal, you know, force with the band that not that it was missed, but it was missed. You know, I mean, it, it really was something, you know, what, why is this a different vibe? It's a different vibe because you don't have all the original members. So yeah, we'll, for us to be able to celebrate 20 years with the original five guys that started this is, uh, it's crazy. I mean, if you had told me that, you know, 20 years from now, you're going to be doing an anniversary tour for this record. I'd be like, no way. Right. You know, I mean, with the nature of the music business, you know, you're lucky to have a good 10 year stretch at best, um, for a lot of bands. So, I mean, I was super thankful. I mean, it, it's humbling that people still want to hear our stuff and that we still can get in the studio. Um, and come up with stuff that doesn't seem like it's just been done to death. I mean, we have our go-tos, you know, there, there are certain types of songs that are going to be kind of go-tos and certain tempos and keys and things like that. But, you know, when we come out of the studio, we're still excited about making the music and making the record. So, you know, I'm thankful for that. I mean, if other people hate it, uh, you know, but, we we apologize and we're sorry, but we actually <laughs> right. still enjoy the music. So. <laughs> right now, I guess I guess that's uh, that's the coolest part of still doing it after all this time. Yeah, absolutely. And is there any memories that you could share, like going into the studio, making that first record? I know you had JJ French and Mark Mendoza were mm-hmm. were uh, producing with you on that. Any any memories of being in the studio with those guys and and doing that record? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we sort of didn't really know what we were doing. So, you know, we were super green and just, I mean, we didn't know anything about song structure and, you know, I, I listened back to that record and it's like, there's some really unconventional moves, you know, there's a lot of extra parts and, you know, we don't actually get to a chorus and like a couple of the songs, I think black's one of them. We don't hit the first chorus until after two minutes. I mean, if you try to do that today, you know, record companies would be looking at you going, what's wrong with you? This is all wrong. But I think that's part of why it had such a cool identity is it was just, it wasn't what was typically going on. And, uh, I mean, it was such a cool experience, you know, I mean, going in the studio with those guys, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. It's not one of our favorite sounding records, but if, you know, people ask me, well, why would, would you remix or remaster? And you could, but I don't know, man. I mean, I think it, it had to sound that way and feel that way and have that certain vibe for us to to be able to grow um you know to know what we wanted to change up over the next couple records and really kind of dial in the way that we wanted the band to sound but it was such a cool experience i mean we were i think we were only in the studio for i think 21 22 days i mean it it was fast we got in and we got to work and we were in and out you know it was a pretty quick process um but we didn't want to spend a ton of money because you you never know i mean you know we were taking a, a shot in the dark you know, it's one thing when you do something like on the first record, when we did have the success going into the second record, there was a good bit of expectation. So we kind of built, you know, 
the budget and the studio and the producer choice and all that good stuff around that. But on your first one, you're like, this could be one and done. You know, I mean, yeah. we, we could have released it and sold 500 copies and that'd be it, you know, ever said and done. And, you know, I'm either in a different band or, you know, doing whatever else in life, you know, my life path would have, would have allowed me to follow. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, one of those records where, you know, we were just kind of deer in the headlights, just hang on, you know, we're going for the ride here. You know, we have a label and now all of a sudden we have a manager and a booking agent and all these people that are, you know, telling us all these crazy things. And it was a wild ride. I mean, that whole album cycle for us was, it was a long one. It was 21 months. I think we did 460 shows. Oh my God. And, uh, we, I know we were out on tour with Metallica. I remember we were, we were talking about that. And, you know, I remember saying to Laura, yeah, we did 462 shows on the first record. And he goes, why? <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. You know, it, it was kind of one of those deals when, when you first started, you couldn't get a tour. I mean, nobody was giving us a tour. So you took whatever you could get. You know, we'd, we'd have, we had some shows with Henry Rollins. We had some shows with Nuno Betancourt. And then we finally locked in with the Snot guys. And right. that made sense because yeah. they were hungry and no one would take them out. And we did a lot of touring with those guys. Well, after we had finished the second stunt tour, that's when the uh, Limp Biscuit tour offer came. And that was Ladies Night in Cambodia on their first record. Mm. It was a big tour. Um, and then the Megadeth tour happened. And that was a big tour. And then OzFest happened. And yeah. it was like, okay, you know, the first year we couldn't, you couldn't get on a tour. And then the second year we couldn't get off the road. Right. So yeah. it was a great spot to be in. Guys, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But we'd already been out on tour for well over a year at that point. So we were like, okay, we were, we were cooked, but we were like so excited to be a part of it just because it was, it was the biggest thing we'd ever done. Right. On. You know, yeah. and, uh, you know, the, the memories from that record and the friendships that, that we made on that tour were, uh, you know, things that'll last a lifetime. Very cool. Guys, we've been talking with John Connolly, the guitarist of Seven Dust, vocalist and guitarist of Projected, which have a new record out, which I highly recommend, Ignite My Insanity. John, thanks so much. It's been great talking with you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
What you just heard was Black by Seven Dust. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Talking Metal, coming to you from outdoors here, right on right on Lake Placid. Mark Striegel checking out. Support me by using our Amazon links. Go to TalkingMetal.com and link over to Amazon to make your purchases. We get a cutback on that. And also make me uh, make a PayPal donation. I appreciate that. And uh, keep rocking, guys. We'll see you next time. Here is, to take us out, a little music by Black Sabbath. See you later. <laughs>